0: Welcome to Christ for You, a podcast of our Relief Lutheran Church and School, Pagosa Springs, Colorado. I am Pastor Andrew Packer. Like last week, I want to do another sermon by Johann Gerhard. This is his second midweek sermon based on Isaiah 57, verses 1 and 2. So let's start with the reading of Isaiah 57. The righteous person perishes, and there's nobody that takes it to heart. And saintly people are swept away, and no one takes note of it. The righteous are swept away from misfortune, and those who have lived right in their walk of life come to peace and rest in their chambers. On the sermon, there are some that think that the prophet Isaiah proclaimed this word to his listeners after the death of the godly king Hezekiah. This Hezekiah was, of course, a righteous and saintly king who lived justly and conducted himself in the ways of the Lord. For he did what pleased the Lord, like his father or ancestor David. He did away with the high places and shattered the columns and uprooted the groves and toppled the bronze snake that Moses had made. For up to that time, the children of Israel had also offered incense to it. That is, he did away with all sorts of idolatry that had been in practice and heavily conducted by the nation of Israel at that time. He trusted in the Lord, God of Israel. Thus, neither after him nor before him was there ever another king of Judah like him. He clung to the Lord and never wavered from him. And he kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded to Moses. 2 Kings 18, verses 3 through 6. Hezekiah was such a godly and pious king that it is not then implausible that his chief preacher, the prophet Isaiah, conducted this beautiful funeral sermon. This is, first of all, to a certain degree, shown by the words of this text, thereupon by the matter itself, the situation and circumstances of that time. The words of this text read this way in his language. This righteous person passed away. To indicate that here it's speaking about an important person, That's why at times this text is applied to Christ, asking to be shown from Lyra. And on the day of Christ's burial had been sung in churches, because this person is like the Lord. In Isaiah 53, my servant, the righteous one, the most holy one, Daniel 9, 24, who in all parts lived right and there was no deceit found in his mouth, 1 Peter 2, 22. Furthermore, in his language, Isaiah says, kind, gracious lords are swept away, whose title of honor mainly requires godly rule, as is to be concluded from the words of Christ in Luke twenty two twenty five, One calls them mighty, gracious lords. So also the words of this text want to direct us thereto. It speaks about the death of a gracious ruler, whom the situation and circumstances of that time indeed sorely needed. For Isaiah had experienced the deathly departure of the pious, godly King Hezekiah, whose faithful, highly regarded court preacher he had been. And that is why he rightly also magnified his praise after his death. Of course, after Hezekiah's death, There followed misfortune, because Manasseh became the ruler in his place, who established all sorts of idolatry and filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, 2 Kings 21. Indeed, he also allowed Isaiah to be cut up with a lumber saw, as the rabbinical writings say about this. So then both the words of this text, as well as his circumstances at that time, indicate that this text is speaking about the death of the pious King Hezekiah. However, in it there are two parts presented. First... What does the world think of the earthly death of godly, saintly people, especially in regard to highly well-deserving people? Second, what on the other hand does the Holy Spirit teach about how one is to regard it? God grant that we may fruitfully deal briefly about both parts. If the prophet Isaiah desires here to talk about the deathly departure of pious, godly persons, especially about higher, well-deserving heads of spiritual and earthly regimes, he then gives them a beautifully glorious title. At the outset, he calls them righteous persons, not as if though their own righteous works could stand before God's judgment, since it here applies what Isaiah confesses, all our righteousness is before you, Lord, like a filthy cloak. Who would then want to proudly parade before God's judgment with his own righteousness, like with a soiled rag, writes Gerson concerning these words. In the same way, Adrianus states in another place, the fabric of our own righteousness of works sometimes becomes ugly, spotted by sin. How then may we with it stand before the pure eyes of the Most High? That's why they shall be far more so called righteous because they believe in Christ the Righteous One, and with true faith possesses His righteousness. Just as Isaiah himself also explains it in Isaiah fifty three eleven. Here he, in the person of the Heavenly Father, says this, My servant, the Righteous One, that is the Messiah, who makes the, us the righteousness of God, 1 Corinthians 1.30, shall through the knowledge of him make many righteous, for he bears their sin. The punishment of our sins was laid upon him so that we may have peace. Since we then have been made righteous through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. That's why he calls them a holy people, a kind, gracious, merciful people. Some understand it in an improper sense. Those who experience mercy from God, the Lord, or an account of whom God the Lord does good for an entire city, an entire nation. However, it is far better that one understands it with the actual meaning of the word, those who are holy and accomplish works of love and mercy. For the Hebrew word means both holiness and mercy, which then nicely follows upon the foregoing, especially since faith in Christ, by which we become righteous before God, is not a simple knowledge, a dead, lifeless thing, but instead is active through love. It changes the entire person, cleanses the heart, overcomes the world, and the sinful flesh. Especially since through the true upright living faith, Christ lives in our hearts. So then, where Christ dwells, there also dwells the Holy Spirit, and makes the believers into God's temple. Wherever the Holy Spirit dwells, there he also produces the same fruit that is recounted in Galatians 5.22, such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, meekness, and chastity. These are the spiritual sacrifices that are brought to temples of God the Lord, and are ignited by the heavenly fire of the Spirit, under whom all love has its merit. For just as the believers receive and become lords over everything through faith in Christ, so they through love once more make themselves servants and debtors of the neighbor, just as the heavenly Father bestows them everything good in Christ, so they in turn show all goodness to the neighbor in keeping with their highest ability. These then are rightly called kind, merciful, benevolent people, who allow more works of love and mercy to be laid upon them than mere outward ceremonies because they know God has delight in pleasure and mercy and not in sacrifice. Concerning such people, the third point Isaiah makes is that they have lived justly, their feet walk correctly. They let God's word be a lamp to their feet and a light upon their path. For the way of the divine commands is the same true and right way upon which true believers walk. The ways of the Lord are right and the righteous walk therein, as is recorded about Zacharias and Elizabeth in Luke 1.6. That is, they blamelessly lived according to all the commands and statutes of the Lord. This is also the description of true, godly, pious people. Those who conduct themselves rightly are righteous and saintly people. How then does it go for them in this life? Do they reach old age? Do they die old with a satisfactory life? Indeed, some of them actually have a long life graciously bestowed to them by God. Especially as happened to the patriarchs, in order that through their ministry, God's word in his kingdom would be spread forth. However, more often it went for them like it is here recorded by Isaiah, that they were summoned from this world by an early death. First of all, Isaiah says, they are killed. The Hebrew word actually means perishing and being killed, dying and perishing. It's not as if death of the righteous were a loss or a perishing, in the words of the texts that follow, we are directed otherwise. Rather, because before the eyes of the world and our flesh, it appears that way, as if when saintly people are sadly murdered by tyrants or are ripped away in the midst of their life through sickness, they experience a great harm and perish, like it is excellently explained in Proverbs 3.22. And it appears as if these very words were lifted from our text to the unknowing. They are viewed as if they died and their departure is regarded as a pain and their departure as a perishing. However, they are at peace. That's why the prophet presents it differently. They are taken up or ripped away. And the Hebrew word used is about a simple snatching up. Don't whisk away my soul with the sinners. Also, it is used about the death of the holy patriarchs, who by their departure were gathered to their people. In this way, both are hereby indicated that the righteous and holy ones are collected together with a host of heavenly angels in the elect. Then too, that they oftentimes are whisked away through an early unforeseen cause of death. This is a world of a true babble and confusion, where there constantly are wicked and godly intermingled among each other. Indeed, sometimes the wicked have an advantage over the godly, but death is the true plane of demarcation. Here the godly are separated and gathered to the place of rest with folks like themselves. The soul of my Lord, Abigail says to David, will be bundled up with the little bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the souls of your enemies shall be slung away with the sling. This means a true, blessed gathering up to which God the Lord sometimes hastens to whisk away with an early snatching. For the fact that saintly people, well-deserved regents, the pillars of the church, and in general God-fearing men die prematurely does not happen as if God the Lord, among other things, were their enemy. Instead, it happens for the following reasons. First, that God the Lord thereby admonishes the living to repent. Wisdom 4.16 the righteous person who dies condemns the living godless. And the youth that will soon fulfill the life of the unrighteous. How does that happen? Proverbs 28, 2. On account of the sins of the nation, many changes of princedoms occur. Hebrews 11:38. Those, the holy prophets and men of God, whom the world was not worthy of. Here it clearly states that on account of the sins of the subjects and citizens, God the Lord sometimes removes for a time pious rulers and faithful teachers so that it may be a strong penitential sermon, just like Jonah's pumpkin plant under which he could have shade dried up. So also God sometimes lets dry up for a time the beautiful, glorious regime tree under which the subjects live fine, secure, peaceful lives, so that they, the subjects, afterwards better feel the heat of misfortune. Second, that they all the more soon come to rest from the weariness and labor of this life, Wisdom 4, verses 10 through 11. The righteous person pleases God well and is dear to him, and he is taken away from life among sinners, and is whisked away so that evil does not corrupt his understanding and false teaching does not deceive his soul. The Greek word written here means he shall be transferred. With this word we are directed to the simile. The true believers are fruitful trees, planted in the house of the Lord in his church. Sometimes a tree is at the proper time transferred or transplanted in order that it may bloom all the more beautifully and bear fruit. So likewise, God the Lord sometimes in due time transfers the believer into the heavenly garden of paradise so that they may bloom and bear fruit before him. These are the two reasons on account of which God the Lord whisks away early, highly, meritorious people who still could have carried out great benefits in the church and in secular regimes. So also in general godly Christians who with their prayer could still have turned away much evil. But how does the world regard all this? And there is no one who takes it to heart, Isaiah says. And again, nobody takes note of it. The word in the original language actually means to take note of a thing with such diligence, like a builder first thinks through everything before he begins to finish the building. The prophet Isaiah consequently wants to lay before us such a simile that the church is God's house, in which certain similar pillars are erected, like outstanding teachers and Christian rulers. Like David says in Psalm 75, The land trembles, but I steadfastly hold its pillars. So then if God the Lord, through the demise of outstanding teachers and Christian rulers, takes away one pillar after the other, He is threatening punishment and destruction. But here the world is so confidently sure that it does not take this to heart. It does not think that it is in any danger. Instead, it only looks at the unmitigated circumstances or thinks this is happening by chance. Wisdom 415 However, the people, when they see it, disregard it and do not take it to heart that namely the saints are in God's grace and mercy, and that he keeps a watch over his elect. But pious hearts should right take note, and see the works of the Lord. For the prophet records in the second part of his little Bible passage what sort of judgment pleases the Holy Spirit about an untimely death of the righteous and saintly, especially high, well-deserving people. And he directs us first of all, to others who remain alive. What hereby is threatened to them? Thereupon, to the deceased ones themselves, what status they have after their death. pertain to those who remain alive, Isaiah says that by the death of the righteous and saintly, they are threatened with misfortune. The righteous shall be swept away from the misfortune. When they depart this world, then misfortune sees to it that it follows. As Noah entered into his ark, there immediately followed the great flood. In the same way, the coffin is the believer's ark and little Noah's ark when they enter it God the Lord sometimes pours out his wrath like a great flood upon the world in Isaiah 26:20 20, God the Lord says to his people go into your chamber and lock the door after you hide yourselves for a moment until the wrath has passed over in 2nd kings 22:20 he likewise says to the pious king Josiah therefore i will gather you to your ancestors so that you shall be gathered with peace in your grave and your eyes not see all the misfortune that I shall bring upon the cities. God, Lord, still does such things these days. He snatches his own away from misfortune. When a blazing fire flares up, a head of household scoops together his best things and brings them into a protective place. So also when the Lord's wrath flares up like a fire, he snatches up his own and brings them to peaceful rest. That is how God shall also deal with us. Luther writes about this verse in Isaiah. He'll take us away from future misfortune. In this part, he, Luther, obviously was a correct prophet, because after his death, there ensued the German war, also all sort of revolt and troublesome disorder in all situations. The true godly people shine like lights in the world. When a light is carried out from a situation, everything becomes obscure and dark. The godly with their prayer make themselves into walls and withstand the upheaval, so that the land is not destroyed. If these walls collapse, there then follows the destruction of the land." If a gardener digs up all the fruitful trees from their places, that is a signal he wants to destroy that place and let it become a wilderness. So likewise, it indicates a misfortune and destruction if the most beautiful regime trees are taken away. As to what then pertains to the deceased godly people, the prophet says that through their early demise, they experience nothing evil. Instead, they come to peaceful rest and rest in their chambers. Peace comes to their soul, rest to their body. For their souls are carried to Abraham's bosom, where they are comforted. They are in God's hand, and no anguish, distress, or agony is able to touch them. In this life it means this. Must not man constantly be in strife here upon earth? Here upon earth there is outward strife, inward fear. Here one must constantly lie down in the field, struggling against the devil, the world, and the lust of the flesh. However there, in heaven, the righteous and sanctified are at peace. The final enemy that will quit is death. If they have overcome it, there no longer is any want. The beloved rest in their chamber. That means, of course, speaking comfort about the grave. If we, with our outward bodily eyes, look at the graves, we find them full of dead bones and all kind of filthy dirt. However, here, we should especially learn to view the graves with spiritual eyes of the heart. Thus, we shall discover that they are, according to the original Greek language, genuine sleeping chambers in which a person rests gently and secure, also, to some day come forth from it alive and glorified again, for nobody lays himself into his chamber to rest because he wants to sleep in it forever. Instead, so that he may more nimbly and agilely spring forth from it, thus the godly shall also come forth from their little chamber of rest in the grave to an eternal life. These beautiful words of the prophet are taken from these verses in which death is called a sleep, for if death is a sleep it then indisputably follows that graves must be chambers. If the believer's death is asleep and the graves are chambers, it further follows from this that they shall step forth from them to the resurrection of life. To that end, joyfully help us, God. Through Christ our Redeemer. Amen. Thanks for listening to Christ for You. Blessings on your day.